It's time for Done Being Single with your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Sharp. If you're dating the same type over and over again, making the same mistakes and not finding love, then you're not done being single. What you need is some tough love dating intervention, Trevor and Robbie style. Whether you're new to dating or have been dating forever, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Sharp. Hi, everybody. Wow. Thank you it's so much. Nice. I love applause, but you know what? Today, today, um, I think we should give our applause to someone else. Okay. Okay. To our good friend, dear friend, Tom Morgan. Tom Morgan, who, who needs is, our thoughts and prayers and um, hopes and. Who uh, is in ICU on life support? Um, but hopefully, is going to come out of this. We really, yeah, really yeah. Pray that he's so it's been a tough this. couple days for me and Robbie. Um, it's been thought provoking. And um, sort of in the run-up to this show, it's given me a lot of food for thought about men, sensitivity, what makes them tick, what makes them sad. It's you know, so I think so. I think men get a bad rap sometimes. I I was at the hospital, and Tom's got two brothers, and one was sobbing, and the other one was stoic. And I found it really interesting how men process well, feelings, I, it's, pain, know, suffering. This is all part of who men are. And I think that we do get generalized as being sometimes more alpha and dominant and needing to have strong egos at all times. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that is part of us, but that is definitely not, that does not complete us. We There's... There's so many facets to us, just like there are to women. And as we experienced last week in our fun show with our four, three great breasts, great guests that we had. Did you say great breasts? Uh, great, great breasts that we had. And uh, <laughs> you yes, mean six, I did. You mean six great there, breasts? There were there actually there were eight. Thank but you. Who's counting? Thank you. The moderator. So, um, too. Thank yes. You. So it's just I I think that it doesn't get spoken enough about the sensitivities that uh, all men do possess and it comes out in various times obviously in uh in in the face of a a very close friend being in the hospital in in very serious condition uh we can't help but go through some you know major emotions and uh, we all process it a little differently they could be brothers they could be friends doesn't matter but um uh, and i think that it's something that women uh would benefit from knowing that it's not just one way with us it's very important that we we also have the ability to express it openly and uh freely uh, without judgment and the ability for women to embrace yeah i i actually find it um so endearing um i grew up with a sensitive father maybe a little too sensitive sometimes but um i find it very human uh to be to cry to emote to feel and i think uh, you you possess a lot of those characteristics. As I'm looking at your your what was what do you call that thing? Um, you did a um, corporate training thing where you are uh, you determine words determine what kind of personality type you are. And so I think that um, there's something really strong about being sensitive. For a man, and it, the the stronger you are, the more comfortable you are in your sensitivity. Am I correct? But I think I think women, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about men. I think women think that they're just, you know, all men are heartless and horny. Which we are at times. Well, more horny than heartless, I think. And and I will say that for as many men as I've dated, and I have. I still don't, I don't know everything. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I have often scratched my head and wondered, what is it that I'm missing here? Why can't I uh, penetrate or why can't I help or fix or, um, you know, why, why it, it is, has oftentimes left me confused and frustrated. And then I, I don't know. I mean, I still... You know, it's we're all we're all wired differently. But I think at the end of the day, men are, and I said this as much on um, my Facebook post. 
that men are primal. I say it all the time. They're simple, more than they're, and all guys will tell you, eh, men are simple. That did come out a lot in the post. Uh, I have a question for you, though. When you were dating uh, in the past, and you were dating somebody who may have been a little bit more of a dominant man, uh, and all of a sudden they did show you a sensitive side, how did that make you feel? That they weren't wimps, quite the contrary, that they were actually secure with themselves because I think it takes balls to show your feelings. Absolutely. I agree with you. It takes it, it takes the freedom of knowing you're with somebody that you are comfortable with as well to be able to express that sometimes. Oh well too and for women for women too. And there's a there's a level of um, fear, you know, that people don't want to open up um, and show their feelings because of judgment. They fear they'll be judged or rejected or abandoned. Correct? I, I think so. And I, but for the women that may be uh, more attracted to that domineering personality, that we want them to know that being exposed to a man's sensitivity should not be a turnoff to them. It should be something that they embrace and is actually a turn on. I'm hoping. Um, yes, I do. I, I, yes, I, I, I can say the, the, the most confused I've ever been with, and I like to think I understand men and just human nature in general, but dating divorce guys was just brutal tough. That was, you know, you just didn't know if you were coming or going. You don't know what they're thinking. You don't know. They're so twisted in knots and not sure of who they are, what they want. It was very difficult. It's very difficult uh, to to deal with that, to date that. And I think that's why dating divorce guys too soon is probably not a great idea. But what are you going to do? They're in your dating pool, well, you know? They're, they're pursuing you. You pers- It doesn't, I don't know how you meet, but... Uh, well, I mean, everybody in midlife is divorced, except for so, us. Uh, okay. <laughs> Although yes. after this show. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've had m- much uh, more... Um, Interesting shows that have caused us to go, hmm. Uh, yeah. Not this one. No, no. Uh, because we're all about love today and healing. We are. And I think it's all about uh, expressing love to those that we may not express love to on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. And we take it for granted. But I think that our, our very close friends that we have uh, deserve to hear that from us and family members. And uh, I think that we uh, uh, can all take from this little experience Yes, that uh, uh, it's very valuable to express that. Do you remember um, when you lived on the East Coast? Remember Purdue Chicken? Remember there was... Remember Frank Purdue. Frank Purdue, remember? Do, yes. And remember what the tagline... They don't make Purdue Chicken on the West Coast, but yeah. remember what the advertising tagline was? I will yeah, okay, say it. Because I know I worked yeah. for the agency. Oh. Uh, it takes a tough man to make a tender chicken. <laughs> okay. So, it and it does. It makes it takes a tough man to let you in, not to be afraid, not to feel judged, not to feel like he's going to be rejected. He can feel sad. He can show sadness. And to that to that end, I actually was doing some research, as I usually do before our shows, because done being single does their homework. And this requires research. So I'm out there on the internet, and I came across an article called Men Get Sad After Sex, which I thought, that is, you know, I know women do. Women get all, you know, I have. You get you get sad and insecure, and you start. Ah, oh, raspberry. And you start freaking out, and does he, is he going to love me? Was I good enough? And guess what? Men feel the same things. After sex. Isn't that crazy? Uh, okay. Okay? There, and there's a clinical name for it. It's called... Post-sexual yes, sadness. Kind of. It's called post-coital dysphoria, or PCD. Hmm. Okay? I bring this up. I don't know why, but I just found out, I just found it interesting that men do get bummed out after sex. After bad sex. 
Well, sure. Yes, you could fear uh, that you're having bad sex. Um, that so so here that you want to hear the. Um, do we have time for me to give the, the top? Let's, let's, yes, you've got time. Okay, the, the top five reasons why men get sad after sex. Hmm. Number one, the realization of assigning dramatically different emotional weight to sex than your partner, meaning you care, she doesn't, she cares, you don't. Has that ever happened? Um, yes. Right? Don't you, you finish and you go, uh-oh, I wonder if she cares about me or enough about me. I, I, yes. And I wonder if I care about her. That's something that's happened later in life, okay. not earlier. Uh, number two, a regrettable one-night stand. That can make you feel sad. Shazam. Right? Uh, yes. I mean, you're a man. I'm asking you. Go ahead. A, a regrettable one-night stand? You've Absolutely. had sex. It's okay. You've had sex before me. It's uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> All right? You can be honest. It's not like we didn't have a life before we met we each other. We had a life. Uh, number three. I miss that life sometimes, I got to tell you. He he does sometimes. He he loves to he laments about his loft. I love you. It's though. not it's not that he wants to be single again. He just misses his loft. Ah, I miss my stuff. Yeah. He misses his stuff, which I is most in my of storage it, locker. Which no. is in storage. It's okay. It's like his old friends. They're all in storage. <laughs> no, <they're not. laughs> but he goes to visit them. No, okay. Okay. Um. Ready? So so sobered up. How many times have you had sex? Maybe, drunk. You were hammered. You. No, you found oh, you ended I'm up in sure. a sack, you. and then you wake up, and then you go, "Oh shit, what oh, did I do?" Yeah, and then you feel sad. Right. Uh, yes, that's happened. Okay, um, I don't have to be necessarily hammered to feel that way. Okay, okay. Uh, number four, uh, you had an evangelical upbringing that produces shame, feelings of shame. Well, isn't that special? Right. Well, you didn't because you're yeah, hardly an well, altar boy. Nor were you raised as one. Okay. Although, you know what? Um, just, you know, for the record, Robbie and I are both Jewish, and there was, I don't know, I, I had no hang-ups in that area. We were not taught. Were you taught that what? anything about, you know, feeling shame? But I know some people do that are that are religious. Honey, growing up, being Jewish, you don't have to be taught to feel shame. You just naturally feel shame over things. It's okay, just right. Okay, so that, that's the guilt. Well, there's guilt. It's, there's guilt. There's shame. Yes, Absolutely. Yes. It's just, it's part of it. Okay, I'd say more guilt than maybe shame for that. Okay. And then finally, um, when you know, you feel sad after sex when you know the relationship you're in is damaging or bad. Okay, do you... Well, okay, that's giving it some life that there's a relationship going on. It's not just a sexual encounter. So it is something that uh, the sex is not giving you pleasure. It's actually making you okay. more sad than happy. Right. So here's the question, which we're going to answer after the break. And this is something I think all woman womankind would like to know. Do men have consciences? Okay. Do men, are men, do they have a conscience? That is really important. You guys need to clue us gals in. We will do that. Do you have a soul? Do you have a heart? Do you feel? Is it just, is, can you get sad? Do you actually have remorse and things when you're dating? That's, I think women oh, would like to know that. Come on. Okay. Okay. Yes, we are. Uh, we're going to go to a break right now. And uh, we have a wonderful guest coming on. Yes, Jonathan will, Asley. Uh, we'll dating coach extraordinaire. Some good feedback and input on here. So uh, we will be right back. And have a couple minutes. Now, back to Dunn being single with dating badasses Trevor and Robbie Sharp. All right, we're back. We are back, and we're going to bring on our guest who's going to, you know, fill in all these blanks for us. They're not that you can't. Robbie Sharp, no, because Robbie's a great um, representative of I, all men. Not a professional blank filler in her. Well, <laughs> but you'd fill in my blank you pretty a damn nice good. Blank there. Let yeah. Me tell you, I love it. Okay. So, this is why we do this show because we get the male opinion and the male perspective, which is well, good. And it's a shared thing. We get the female. And the yeah, male, so. and you're going to get my peace of mind. <laughs> you're going to get a peace of my mind next week uh, when it's all about us women. But for today, you. it's about men. Men, men, men. It's raining men. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's raining men. And um, we're going to bring in the man himself, Jonathan Asley. He is known as America's leading midlife dating and relationship coach. Jonathan Asley is a defender and protector of women's hearts around the world. He helps women transform from attracting Mr. Wrong into finding their Mr. Right. 
Jonathan, a successful entrepreneur, coach, speaker, and author of Unlocking the Male Mind, Finding uh, excuse me, finding Love Online, and Why Men Pull Away. Jonathan is like a guy's spy to the male mind who truly understands the way a single or divorced man thinks and acts. He's a master at helping women recognize and distinguish the difference between men who are emotionally unavailable from those who are truly ready for love. Welcome, Jonathan. Hello, Jonathan. Hello. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, Trevor and Robbie. It's great to have you. And uh, as you've been hearing, uh, our conversation may have started um, uh, on a on a subject that, uh, unfortunately, we know that you are uh, experiencing right now as well. Uh, and Trevor, you want to? Yeah, Jonathan, um, I, you know, I was, uh, as I say, we do our homework here, and I was doing some research, went onto your website, and just happened to catch um, a video, um, a recent video that you had done talking about the loss of your son, and it just stopped me in my tracks, and mm. I I find that somehow this is maybe, and I gave you the option of not, you didn't have to do the show, because I, I don't. You know, I didn't know much, but yeah. you said absolutely no. I want to. This is fresh too. It just and and Jonathan, go ahead. Tell us everything. Well, um, so I'll give you a little bit of the details because you didn't actually hear. Um, it was July third. My nineteen-year-old son um, died in his sleep, um, and we don't know the actual details yet. But it it's uh, was a result of some brain seizures he had been having. Uh, for several months prior, at least that's what we're we're speculating, um, and and thankfully um, he and we knew he'd had seizures, and so you know his license was taken away, and and his and there was a lot of trauma associated with that, and we, I think when it when they started to happen, my fear was you know could he become a vegetable? Could he get in a car accident and kill you know you know preschool students walking from school or, you know, maybe his friends in the car or something worse. So I, I think I'd been on a little bit heightened sense of alert. Um, and when I saw him um, and his lifeless mortal body, um, he just looked like he was sleeping. So as I processed his, the, the loss of him or his transition, if you will, um, I started to really think about death in general because I'd, I've been blessed in some ways to not have too much death in my life. I, I lost my mother, my 88-year-old mother um, seven months earlier, but she lived a good life. And she, you know, she, we had a chance to say goodbye and there was a nice transition for her. So uh, even though it was, we, we didn't know she was ill, I mean, it was happened in a very short period of time. And I've been contemplating death, and I'm going to share this from, I know this, this talk is about men, but I'd like to say this as people, because as a person, I'm choosing to grieve my son through love versus pain and suffering. It's very fascinating to me because a lot of people have sent me grief groups to join and, and grief counseling and everything. And I'm reading all the content in there, and it's all just a, a, a bombardment of pain and suffering and, and living in the pain and suffering. I'm like, why do we have to choose that? as a way to honor and grieve our, you know, our loved ones. Uh, I know for a fact my son wouldn't want me to suffer. I know that about him. I'd like to think I know that about him. I hope so. And so I'm choosing love, and that just means to choose all the good rather than the loss, if you will. He was on this planet for a short time, much like a short documentary, as I've said a number of times, and that was his journey. And other people have a lifetime movie channel journey of their life with a lot of drama. And some people have action adventure films and every, and you know, some of them are two hours and 37 minutes and some are one hour and 58 minutes. My son's was maybe a little bit shorter. So I'm just giving you a little precept into how I'm processing his loss. Well, it's, um, we're, we're so very sorry to hear this. And uh, it's so refreshing to hear how you are, handling it and dealing with it and uh there's so much that we can take from this uh as we are going through something with our very close friend 
Tom and uh, still wishing he's going to snap out of this and, and, and still have a, a healthy life ahead of him. Can I share something with you and for your audience too? Um, because I, you know, like, and I was a divorced parent. And by the way, Trevor, I think it's something like seventy-five percent of singles who are over forty are divorced. So I don't think it's quite everyone, as you said earlier, <laughs> but it's pretty much the majority of them. So, and I'm a, a pro, my children were a product that had divorced parents. Um, I chose to be very present with my children in the last five or ten years, or some. I'd say the last five or 10 years of their life, I, I chose to really appreciate every single chance I got to spend with them. And I, I don't even want to characterize a chance. It, it was planned, and, and, and we, in fact, they, we always made time. There was no animosity between his mother and I. And my last memory with my son is, is the same as every memory whenever we went out to lunch or did something. It was always a hug and a kiss on the cheek, I love you. Even as a 19-year-old boy and I have a 22-year-old son, it's always the same. I made that my practice. Or is it not, I don't want to say made it my practice. It is my practice. And I'm grateful because I didn't take anything for granted for the most part. And as I, as I approach life going forward, everybody who's important to me, I don't want to take for granted one second because it can happen that quick. Because sadly for his mother... He got up in the morning, said, hey, I'm grabbed a bite to eat, went back. He said, I'm going to go back to bed, and he didn't come out of his room. Mm. And that's how quick it can happen. So we oftentimes have regret, but how do we avoid regret? By being present and grateful in every single moment of those mm -hmm. people who are in our lives. And I want to say it's given me a whole different perspective on, or or a whole different observation on perspective because a lot of this and I'll be candid, the rhetoric about men and women and men are this and women are that, it's a, I'm telling you now from this perspective, it's all a crock of shit. Mm -hmm. We have to stop separating yeah. the sexes right. and start treating people as people. It's not men are this and women are that. Is a person might be this or a person might be that. The minute we generalize or label it or, or stereotype, we're setting up for failure especially in the relationship realm. Yeah, and I think... I want... Uh, I'm ahead. sorry, go ahead. Okay, no, I was going to say, I think we hear more from, uh, especially because we're, you, you, we're all in the same sort of dating business, dating advice business. Yeah. We hear more about the disgruntled. We hear the complaints about dating yeah, men and, and women more than we hear the... But complaining is not self-love. Complaining is victim consciousness. Anyone who complains even once without choosing how to solve it in the process, and what I mean by taking personal responsibility for their choices, is choosing victim consciousness. Mm -hmm. Anyone okay, who that... complains about the opposite sex, when they point a finger, there's string fingers pointing back at them saying, you have to look at yourself and how you operate. So with that said, how do you advise your female clientele? Since they're all probably unhappy and, you know, unhappy. Well, it starts, first off, if they're unhappy with the opposite sex, first start becoming happy with yourself. Start becoming yes. happy with yourself. Because if you're, trust, the person who's happy with themselves never feels animosity about the opposite sex. Because they have chosen a victor consciousness, not a victim consciousness. Okay, that's The minute great. you point the finger at the opposite sex, you're already lost. And, you're, and I will say this, 50% of singles, both men and women, who truly want a connection with another human being, probably won't achieve it because they play the victim in their life. They're not choosing self-love. They're not choosing self-responsibility. They're not choosing self-respect. They're not choosing their own self-worth. They they, they, they're not looking in the mirror and saying, I genuinely love you for who you are. Now, mm -hmm. Some people do that, but that's called narcissism. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but they're in love with themselves versus loving themselves. And it starts, it's all an inner journey. This conversation about pointing the finger at the opposite sex doesn't really get to the root of where inner happiness comes from, and it comes from inner peace. 
And when you're from a place of inner peace, you will attract magnificent people in your life. Okay, so how do you, do we have time to, can I ask a question, then he can give the answer after the break? Sure. We have, we have a minute. Okay, so how do you counsel, guide women who are inherently self-loathing and feel like I can't, uh, they're in a loop, they're in a sort of a, um, a failure loop, that they don't have the self-worth needed to f- attract a great guy, so then they don't attract the great guy, so then they become more un- uh, more self-loathing. You know what yeah. I'm saying? You know, I have a lot of compassion for that person. That's, that's what therapy is for. That's what deep work is. Maybe the Hoffman process would be a really fantastic thing. And for those listening, Google the Hoffman process. Because for those who are in that space, you're going to continue to be there until you make that interchange. And that's not my area of expertise. My area of expertise is helping women identify compatibility, helping them identify their compatible partner, because chemistry doesn't lead to relationship success. Compatibility coupled with chemistry is your best chance for success. Right. So it starts, but it starts first by, there's an old saying, how can you love another if you don't love yourself? If you don't love yourself, you're not capable of being in a relationship. And those that have heard our show have, have uh, that has been a recurring theme uh, throughout all of our shows is that you must be happy with yourself, number one, before you can bring happiness to a relationship and, yeah. and find that. Uh, that being said, but Jonah, the minute you're to... happy with yourself, it's not going to be the problem is the opposite sex because you're right. naturally going to start choosing people who are aligned to who you are and what you want. And that's where I come in is by helping recognize that compatibility. Do we share the same values? Can we blend lives together? And lastly, am I with an emotional grown up? Because chemistry okay. is the easy piece. That's the first thing we see. We see that in a nanosecond. Mm-hmm. It's all the other layers, but it starts from a journey within, a self-discovery journey. And that's where someone like myself makes a huge difference. And that's why my clients, the minute they go through my program, just magnetically attract people because they already know what they want and not the fantasy. Mm. We're going to go to a break right now, but we're going to come back with Jonathan and uh, we actually have a caller, too, that we're going to uh, bring on. So, Jonathan, thanks so much. Great stuff. And we'll be right back with you. And now, back to Done Being Single with dating badasses Trevor and Robbie Sharp. All right. We are back. And, uh, Jonathan, something you said uh, in the last segment was that uh, uh, you're, you're not uh, handling women and, and men as separate uh, sexes, you, you're handling them as people now. And uh, is that as a result of the your most recent experiences with your son? Is that something that's been evolving? Well, thank you for asking. Yeah, that's something that's been evolving for the last few years. Um, I believe the minute we start pointing the finger at the sexes, we've already created separation to humanity and to the and really to love. Love doesn't separate the sexes. Love doesn't point the finger. Love just comes from that heartfelt place of empathy, of compassion, of understanding. And frankly, when we, you know, the old adage, you know, sit in someone else's shoes for a moment. So everybody has a reason why they do what they do. And and to them, it's a good reason. It may not be the good reason to you, but it's good for them. And so it's, it's, I I really come from a place of empathy by saying we are all people. We are flawed human beings, you know, and, and I'll say, well, it's true that we're primal for the first 20 years of our lives. As we begin the age and I work with that midlife demographic, it's our, our makeup of who we are, our behavior of who we are is both imprinting the things that happen in our childhood, those experiences that happen, whether we came from divorced parents or parents who struggled or parents who were sweet and kind like Ozzy and Harriet or parents that were dysfunctional. And then our adult experiences make us who we are at midlife. So while, yes, some of it's primal, the bulk of who we are is through our experiences. And each person has, a, has had a unique different experience. 
And sadly, as human beings, we expect the other person to act the way we want them to be. In fact, Elizabeth Gilbert once said, um, American singles today are the most narcissistic people on the planet. They want their best friend, the best lover, their financial person. They want someone else to be better than who they are. Mm -hmm. Because it starts from within. And when you come from your own journey and then say, you know what? I'm going to have compassion and empathy and acceptance of everyone around me. Then we don't have to point the fingers. And you're naturally going to attract people who are aligned to who you are and what you want. Okay, so um, we've got a caller, but I got I have a question and I'm going to forget if I don't ask it. So how do you, sure. Jonathan, how do you keep the bar high and yet adopt a more accepting um, attitude toward people? If you're, doesn't matter, man, man or woman, you know, how do you keep your bar raised? Raise your bar, which I'm all for, because you want high-quality people. But there comes a point where, yeah, people are entitled. She's right, Elizabeth Gilbert. I don't know about our generation, but maybe now millennials thinking, I got to have it all. I've got, they've got to be this and yeah, that. She was talking this about our that. generation, by the all way. Right. Okay, so I, I um, would say. So to, how do you, yes. So to answer your what? question, first off, I don't like the concept of bar because that creates separation. But here's how I, I want to answer your question. Boundaries. And Brene Brown said it best. Boundaries are simply what's okay and what's not okay for me. What's okay and what's not okay for me, setting a boundary by saying, you know what, this is unacceptable behavior and this is how I feel about it. And if someone continually does it and you choose to accept that behavior, then it's on you, it's not on them. So it's about setting a boundary. Boundaries don't mean a wall. Boundaries simply mean, hey, you know what, this wasn't okay for me. No, boundaries and if are you fantastic. really care about me, I'd like you to adopt a different way of doing something. That's all a boundary is. It's a request. And then you look for the evidence of do they continually, you know, meet your request. And being in a relationship is all about a two-way street. A relationship is a dynamic of give and take. It's like a seesaw. I'm listening to the two of you. You, uh, you two literally operate, I feel it. Like a seesaw, you're a natural balance to one another because you respect each other, you cherish each other. It's not a one-sided one street because you're a, one's a man and one's a woman. You treat each other like a human being with care, you know, with kindness, with empathy, with compassion and acceptance. Very kind of you to say, but you you have yet to really sit in a room with us. Especially <laughs> when we're doing a show. Post show, uh, come on, come on over. Show. Post oh show, I say God. this all the you time. You know what? Any two people that can work together successfully is a is a is a champion. Okay. Okay. Any couple well, that can work together. Well, we have a caller, and we're going to bring Cat on right now. Cat, are you there? I am here, and I swear the three of you are in my head right now. <laughs> because everything you're saying, I'm I'm writing with a pen as fast as I can. It's like, yes, that's what I wanted to say. Yes, that's what I wanted to ask. Okay, so we you. read your mind. Oh, great. <laughs> thank you for taking a presidency in my head for the past 15 minutes. But I want to start, first of all, hi, badass, dating badasses. I love you guys. Jonathan, you. I want to start by saying, sending love, thoughts, and prayers to you and your family. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Look. So I'm kind of interjecting, and I'm going to do my best to articulate that my, you know, what my, now my thoughts are so jumbled, because you've already kind of addressed a lot of what I was going to ask, but I am on the AARP mailing list, so obviously I'm over 50, and have not been married yet, hopeful, and um, what I come across, yes, is the lack of empathy, compassion, balance, um, you have attraction to somebody, but what I've heard a lot from my male friends and even men that I work with in my business, women are crazy. Women are nuts, and we're generalized. We may have a bad day. Oh, it's your hormones. It's, and you, you, the more you try to you know, dig your way out of quicksand, the deeper you sink, How do you address people who, and I didn't have great male role models growing up, which is one of the reasons I haven't been married, and the way I kind of kept relationships away is 
I kept weight on because I felt that it kept me beige. And I realized no matter how much physical real estate I take up, I'm never going to be beige. So the self-loathing is kind of fading away and the self-love is starting to surface, which is a long time coming. So how do you address being generalized in a society where men seem fearful and obviously they're not necessarily for me, but how do you, how do you get away with, you know, trying to avoid that when it's literally every corner, every turn? Um, I have a question for you, Kat, and just please say yes or no, no elaboration. Are you crazy? Me? I'm that shit nuts. Yes. No, I'm not. (laughs) Okay, you... So, trouble, so, trouble so you actually, uh, you know what? so I'm, a, I'm emotional. No, not, so. no, I want to be serious there for a moment. I want to be serious here for a moment. No, because I'm not. You were, are you crazy? Yes or no? No, uh, clinically, no. I, I don't know. No, I only want a yes or no. No elaboration for me. Just let me, because there's a point I'm trying to make. Um, no. Okay. So here's the thing. You're hearing rhetoric, right? Yes. If you know you're a good person, if you know that you're capable of love, if you know these things, then what anybody else says is irrelevant. Read the book, The Four Agreements. I have. Okay? One of this yeah. is don't believe anybody else's projections, whether it's you to you personally or to society. Because if you deep down know you're a good person, then it doesn't matter the rhetoric. That's just noise. And self-love says, I'm not going to listen to the noise. And you actually, then you know what you can do is start arguing against the noise and say, no, that's not true. Okay? That's not true. Because that rhetoric is keeping people down. That keeps people in victim consciousness. That keeps people repressed. But first and foremost, and I'm going to bring up my son in this story for a second. You know, one thing about my 19-year-old son is he didn't give a shit about what other people thought about him. It was fascinating to me. I witnessed this to him when he was a small boy. He really didn't allow anyone else to fuck with his chi. And I, it, it, it fascinated me, but also I'm adopting that, what I call my inner Connor right now, is that he was responsible for his own experiences. He didn't let someone else's opinion of him affect how he felt about himself. I think maybe that's why he had a short journey on this planet, because he achieved it. That's mm-hmm. what the goal is, to achieve inner peace. Right. And, and, yeah, it, and I mean, by the way, it starts with you. And by the way, and let me just say one other thing. This is a daily practice. This is a, it takes consciousness to practice this on a daily basis. And, and you're going to fall off the wagon. You're going to give in to it. And you have to just come right back on the wagon and say, you know what? I do love me. I, I am worthy. And what everyone else is talking, and women are crazy and all that stuff, my best friend says that. drives me fucking nuts because that's not true. Women well, are beautiful, sweet, kind, loving human not... beings. I agree. But it I doesn't agree. matter. But it doesn't matter. I don't, that, that's talk. That's just a lot of noise. What matters most is how you feel about yourself when you're out in the dating process. Agreed. And I That's my answer to you. Take it for what it's worth. No, I love that? that, and I appreciate that because I'm now coming out of that self-loathing. I'm not worth it. People pleaser. It's getting to the point where you can think whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. It's not going to penetrate because I know how I feel. It's still that the chatter does get in every once in a while. It does. I want you to write down four words. Okay. Stop it, Bob Newhart. Just write that down. Stop it, Bob Newhart. I want you to go to YouTube and Google it. And that's going to teach you everything you ever need to know how to stop listening to that rhetoric. And it's cute and it's funny and you're going to laugh your ass off. I think I've and seen I, that. I, I love I think that. I've Anything seen that. that can bring a little bit of humor and yeah. something like that, I'm all for it. So thank you for the recommendation. Kat, thank you for the call. This is a very... Uh, you know, yeah, I, I, on a related a related question, since Jonathan speaks for men, and and so do you, Robbie. Um, do you experience men feeling the same things as women, Jonathan, and how they process pain and rejection and their fears and their insecurities? 
or do we just have men figure it out all wrong? Crack well, the code, babe. The minute you try, but here's the thing. There's the point I'm trying to make is the minute you are trying to figure someone else out, it's irrelevant. What's most important is how you process fear, anguish, anxiety, pain, all those things. That's what's most important. This life is an inner journey. How someone else does it, they have their own practice at it. And what we can do is talk to one another and say, tell me how you are processing this. Because it's not how men do it, it's how an individual person does it. People find it very, by the way, I deeply, deeply love my children. I mean, I, I, I mean to say that I squeeze them and hug them every single day I was with them, I'm very touchy-feely kind of father. And so to lose my child, and believe me, I spent 19 years of worry the minute they were born, they would fall into a pool and drown or they'd be kidnapped or anything. I, I, and yet I'm choosing love as my approach to grieve. That's why I'm doing that as an individual person. You can't label this men or women. I'm just choosing yeah. that as my experience. So, again, I, I would encourage one to just say, hey, how do I process things, not as a man or woman, as a person? Yeah, good idea, because I think at the end of the day, we are all just human beings and we all exactly. fear we have fears we have we have insecurities we all you know we we express them differently but i think that in your work and in my work too i find there's just a lot of confusion and women want the keys to understand and men need to you know they need to crack the women code just as much and i think there are ways to do this and you're hitting on you're hitting on a lot of them and I was checking out your website and I'd love to know how can women um, how can they identify commitment ready men how do you know how, how do you not waste your time and spin your wheels <laughs> well I want to be upfront with you about something I'm probably now after this experience with my son I'm going to abandon my existing website because I'm abandoning the whole division of men and women. But commitment, here's the, here's the thing. How do you identify a commitment-ready person? It starts by asking good questions and really paying attention. I mean, you almost have to adopt your inner Columbo. <laughs> For those who remember the TV show, mm-hmm. those of us mm-hmm. in the baby boom generation. But it's, it's being a good detective and asking good questions. Sadly, about 80% of the single population don't really know what they want, both men and women, in what, because we no longer adopt a, a let's, get mar- let's get married to get laid philosophy, or we have to get married to get laid, excuse me. <laughs> so we no longer, you know, we can get the cow for free type of thing. That's what's happened in our society. Um, so how do you recognize commitment? It's through a person takes personal responsibility for their choices. They're not complainers. They're not victims. Their actions match their words. And they genuinely want to most likely get remarried again or be in a committed relationship. Anyone who says, well, I'm looking for something casual. I don't know what I want. I just want to just go with the flow. Then they're not coming in with a consciousness saying, I want a life mate. I want a partner whether it's a man or a woman. And by the way, for those listening, I'm a single man. I mean, I, I can tell you women are equally as bad at this process as the complaints are about men. Women yeah, yeah. More, I was just going to say that. Local, I, it's, it goes both, both ways. What's and that? I, I said it, it definitely goes both ways. And here's yeah. something I'd like to ask you, because oh, do you have, do you work with um, male, do you have male clients or mostly just females? Mostly women, but I'm shifting to just doing, being a, a global speaker, and I'm, I'm going to shift away from coaching and just do speaking and writing books now going forward. Okay, so um, before you leave this journey, <laughs> this dating journey world with us, um, a few, we're going to ask you, we're going to ask for your takeaways and some tips, but here's something that really I see a lot of because I'm in the age group and I was single uh, up until I was 50 years old, and mm-hmm. I had to really work against becoming bitter. And I yeah. think bitterness, it, is, it exists just as much with men, just as much. They are bitter. They're frustrated. They're, they're in their 50s, 40s, 50s plus. Things aren't going their way. Relationships aren't panning out. They're not getting laid. They're not meeting women. 
Do you think it's possible um, from your most recent, you experience, your most recent experiences that have caused that bitterness in you is that you it left a bad taste in your mouth, this last dating experience that you had or last relationship you were in, and you're still hurting from it even though you're starting to see somebody new and you have to shake that in order to really be fresh yeah. with this new person. So that's, I think, I, yeah. I think we've, I've experienced that. You so, can't help but experience so, that. There's only one. There's only a few ways to combat that. I don't even like the choice of combat because that sounds like a negative term. But to overcome that, um, first is the word forgiveness. Both forgiveness for yourself and anyone else that you might be blaming. Now, Neil Donald Walsh describes forgiveness as understanding. When we understand something, when we come from a place of understanding coming from their shoes. And what I love about Alison Armstrong, she says something is, ask what their good reason was for doing what they did. So when you're, when you're looking at the process coming from a place of bitterness or jadedness, start from a place of forgiveness, both understanding and come from a place of what was the good reason for all this. And, and ask yourself, what was the learning lesson I was meant to learn from this experience? You know, we, we, we have a a Hollywood fantasy that every relationship is just supposed to be this romantic, beautiful experience. And yet relationships are here to teach us more about ourselves. Okay. So then start with forgiveness, both with yourself and anyone else. Next is acceptance, compassion, and lastly, gratitude. When a person, a person cannot be bitter when they're both grateful. Those two experiences and feelings cannot uh, reside simultaneously. How you overcome bitter and jadedness is to be grateful for every experience in your life. And just as I was talking about my son earlier, and my son did shenanigans and lots of stupid things, you know, I'm still grateful for who he is. I was grateful for every moment I spent with him, the good, the bad, and sometimes the not so, you know, or the ugly, if you will. And it was so rare. But gratitude and a person who cannot live a life of gratitude within them, but I can't say cannot, I don't want to go that extreme, but a person who has repressed that place in who they are, then they're destined for an uncomfortable, unhappy life. So this is the choice everyone listening could, can make is, do I want to choose inner peace as my way of going through life? Because when you come from that place, you won't be bitter, you won't be angry, you won't be jaded. Coming, I know this sounds like rhetoric to come from a place of love, but that's the antidote to this, is just give love freely without expectation of anything coming in return. And I know that's yes. so hard because there are a lot of people that say, I do it and I do it and I do it. No, you oftentimes do it with an expectation of getting it back. When the person can really give, everything else is going to feel good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know, it's interesting because when you say that uh, and you're expecting instant gratification and getting something back, that's not going to happen. But what you may experience is that benefit that comes down the road that you're going to get so much more back by not expecting it in that moment. But first off, let's take out the word expecting it all together. Okay. Let's take that word out of it. To give love is mere, by the way, the best relationships are with two givers. Okay, relationships are not a give or take or given, you know, it's actually the best relationship are two with, with two receivers, two people that can receive love. That's a whole nother thing. There's a lot of people who give love, but they can't receive it in return. And then they act like martyrs all around because they don't feel like they're getting it. Jonathan, I, I we are, you well, I are could, both we, givers and receivers. Yes. Thank you. We are. We enjoy and literally and metaphorically. Yeah, yes. no, we are. We, yes. we are. And, um, and so are you. And one of the reasons why we're doing Thank this you. show is because we have a lot to give and a lot to share, as do yeah. you. And um, before we're coming to we're the end, of, I can't believe this. It happens yeah, this, every this time. The hour flies and by. And we need to do a third break. And, yeah. uh, of course, here we are with more to talk about. We could probably do this again. But um, I know this show was called Cracking the Man Code, and I think what yeah. we've done today Cracking is... Cracking the Human Code. We've really cracked the human code, and that's okay, because sometimes yeah. you, have to, you have to go off script. But um, in the, we've got two minutes left. Uh, if you were to give some, some advice in how to crack the man code, is there some takeaways and tips that you can give our, our female listeners? Yeah, I'd like to tell everyone, take out the word man and put human in place. And uh, take out the word crack 
and take out the word code and just say, how can I appreciate, understand, and accept both myself and everyone around me? Because if you want to crack the code to happiness, because that's really what this is all about, and to find that inner peace, then let's start coming from a place of understanding, accepting, appreciation, and gratitude, because that's cracking the code to feeling good. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people listening to this are resistant to it, and for those few that feel like this is an aha, then I encourage you, go read the book, um, oh God, I went brain dead, <laughs> Marianne Williamson's book, Preparing for Love. Um, mm-hmm. Go read books that actually open and expand your horizons and practice self-love and loving every day, because that's the code to happiness and inner peace. Yes. And- Maybe next week we can go cracking the mother-in-law code because oh, that was a separate. Be, you, you, <laughs> I don't think it applies to the human code. I wish sometime. there was video here sometimes because you would have seen something very funny okay. when you were talking about something. I I mouthed the words my mother. We have to say goodbye to everybody right now. So we want to thank Kat for her question. It was wonderful, Kat. Thank you so much. Jonathan, this has been just enlightening. And again, our deepest condolences to you and the family. We appreciate the way you have handled it. And we've learned from this. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us and sharing your heart and your feelings. And it's been really really therapeutic and cathartic and empowering. Mm. And really lovely. Thank, Thank you, you so much. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for letting me go a little off the topic to hopefully we're I, all about hopefully off topic. made a difference. Thank you. So next That's week, we're actually, you know what? Funny enough, we are going to try to crack the, the, the woman code next no week. No cracking and no code. Okay, no code, no cracking. Right. But we are going to, we're bringing on an expert in, in understanding women. I call him the woman, the woman whisperer, Ken Bechtel. And that's it, you guys. We are done being single. We're also done with the show. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Bye, everybody. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. See you next week on Done Being Single. 